to our time of fellowship today. If you would, uh, make your way back to your seat and you guys can be seated. Appreciate y'all uh, braving the weather to be here. Uh, just a, a couple of notes. One, I, I joked last week about uh, not having to worry about snow canceling things. Well, there you go. So uh, we are not having our evening activities tonight because uh, of the threat of the world and then due to all the weather. So uh, if you've been watching the news, you'll appreciate that. Uh, we, uh, though, will this week have something starting back up we want to let you know about. Now that Matt is helping us as an interim with uh, leading our worship, we are going to be starting our choir back up. So if you have sang, all right, yeah, that's, you don't ever clap when I preach, but you clap for that. Um, so, it, it, that choir better be really good, is all I got to say. Uh, so, for you who are applauding the choir, I expect all of you to be here this Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be having choir practice at 7.30 this Wednesday. So, uh, that'll be most of the church, it sounds like, from all the applause. All right, what are we doing? Order of worship, that's it. Uh, so, no evening activities. We've got that going on Wednesday night, and we'll have some other announcements at the end of the service. So, we do appreciate you being here. Uh, as you can see today, one of the opportunities we have is to come to the Lord's table together. And uh, we do invite any uh, confessing followers of Jesus Christ to participate with us in the Lord's Supper. And we'll be sharing more about that as the service goes on. And we'll be partaking in that towards the end of our time today. Uh, it is a joy to gather, uh, but we know that uh, we are not just here to be with one another in fellowship. We are here to gather around the teaching of God's Word. And so let me start by reading for us a part of Psalm 51. This is what God's Word says. Let me hear joy... And gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast not me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, the psalmist says there, that we are to have joy and gladness, that we are to rejoice, and yet, notice that, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Well, what does it mean that, that God both breaks us and is worthy of our praise? Well, we're going to look at that today as we look at a passage that may have seemed puzzling to you in the past as we look at this encounter in Genesis 32 as we continue to walk through Genesis uh, where Jacob has this wrestling match. Uh, with an unknown person. Well, we're going to talk about who that person is, and we're going to talk about 
what that is there for, what God is doing there in Jacob's life. And we're going to talk about how does that apply to our life. We're going to look at these things as we look to God's word today, as we prepare for the Lord's table today. So let's start our time by praying. If you would pray with me. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name because that is the only name that we can come to you through. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that we can gather here. We can fellowship. We can rejoice. We can worship. Lord, we can study your word. So, Lord, help us to do those things rightly. And, Lord, we just pray for this time now as we lift our voices, as we look to your word, that you might teach us and that you might help us to understand what it means to walk with you. We pray for all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand together, church, let's lift our voices. Sing, we stand. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the truth is, though, that our lives so often don't reflect that. And we can sing songs like that, but then our hearts are far from that. And so we need the grace of God. We need God's action in our lives to come and tune our hearts, just like this guitar needs to be tuned and that piano needs to be tuned so it sounds good together. Our hearts need to be tuned to sing God's grace and His praise. And the good news for us today is that Jesus sought us when we were strangers for Him and brought us into His fold, that He pursued us. And so let's sing about that and remember the work of Christ as we sing. 
Come out, fount of every blessing. Once again, where are we? <laughs> yes. Let me pray for offering. Uh, after our offering, uh, we'll invite our preschoolers up to be dismissed for preschool worship. So let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you uh, for your goodness. And Lord, we're mindful as we receive this offering that everything we have is a result of your blessing, your hand on our life. 
And so, Lord, as we return a portion back to you, we are not only acknowledging that, we are asking that you would take these resources and that you would use them to bring glory to your name through the ministries of this church in this area, through ministries that we have an opportunity to be a part of throughout the world. Lord, we pray that your gospel would be known to the nations through our giving, through our going, through our praying. And we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. the great hope that we have in Jesus. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, burn through the fiercest drought and storm. What kinds of
Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. 
We're going to continue this Lord's Day uh, looking through the book of Genesis. If you've been with us, you know that we have been walking through this book for some time. And as we have uh, in recent weeks, we have been looking at the life of Jacob. As we've looked at Jacob's life, we've learned that Jacob is one who struggles to trust the Lord. He is one whose very name uh, means deceiver, trickster. He's one who seems to always find himself in situations where rather than trusting God, he trusts in himself and he, he connives ways to get what it is he thinks he is due. And yet all along the way, God has been at work in Jacob's life and God has now called him to return to the land of his fathers, the land of promise. He spent about 20 years away from that land, and, and as he's on his way back, as we looked last week, he, he, he has made peace with Laban, who he had conflict with. As he's on his way back, there's another who he's going to need to make peace with, his brother Esau, because Jacob had fled from his brother Esau some two decades before because he had essentially stolen from his brother, he had deceived his brother, and now he finds himself in a situation where as he's returning, he is scared that his brother wants to take his life. His brother agreed those threats two decades earlier. And so as he, he enters, he's entering back into the promised land, he, he sends his servants down to meet Esau, and he finds out that Esau is already on his way to come to him, and he has an army with him. And so Jacob goes from trusting in God to trusting in himself, and he's scared, and he, he, he divides up his camp, and he sends him in two different places, thinking that, that, that Esau will take one out, and he'll be able to escape with the other and what we saw as we looked at that passage is that Jacob is coming to a place where he seems willing to surrender everything he has except for himself. In fact, we ended last week there in Genesis 32 and verse 21, where just before that he said, perhaps, perhaps Esau would accept him. And we talked about how often we do the same thing with God. We, we try to send gifts to God, we try to live a certain way, hoping God will accept us, and yet there is a better way, and it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, just as we looked at that gospel last week, we're going to continue to look at it this week. In a passage that may have puzzled you in the past, this passage where Jacob is, is wrestling with a man. And yet, I hope that as we look at this today, that this will become a passage that you look to and you identify with, and you see a theme here that is common in all our lives of what it is God did with Jacob what it is he does with those who follow him. So as we look to this out of reverence for God's word, if you are able, if you would stand, and let me read for us Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. This is what God's word says to us. The same night he arose and took his two wives, two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford at Jabuk. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? 
and there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh, that is the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us through it this and every day as we commit ourselves to walk with you and to learn from what it is you have said to us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You are probably familiar with the expression to be between a rock and a hard place, but you may not know the the origin of that expression. As I researched it a bit, I found that it goes back to the early 1900s to a time in our country where there was a a banking crisis, a financial crisis, and, and during that crisis there was a labor dispute. It took place in 1917 between copper mining companies and copper mines in the state of Arizona. Uh, During this time, uh, these miners felt like their conditions were harsh, that their rights were few, and so they formed unions and they went to the people who owned these companies and basically gave them a list of demands. But because of the financial turmoil that was already going on in the country, the companies weren't really in a position to meet any of those demands. And, and really the workers weren't really in a position to demand anything because they didn't have a lot of options. In fact, in response to their demands, not only did the mining companies refuse every one of them, but they actually deported, they moved those workers out of Arizona. They sent them to New Mexico. Out of that crisis then came this expression that these workers had a choice. They could go back to the rock, literally the mine, or they can find themselves unemployed and deported in a hard place. And then from there, the expression took form to be between a rock and a hard place. But while that expression may go back just to the early 1900s, it's certainly one that was lived out thousands of years before that. In fact, I believe it was lived out in the life of Jacob, who literally found himself between a rock and a hard place. At this point in Genesis 32, we come to Jacob and he has, he has left this foreign land. He has left the land of his, his uh, relative Laban. And when he left, he and Laban formed a covenant with one another. And this covenant literally was marked by a rock, by a pillar, by a stone that they put in a place. And Laban made the commitment to Jacob that he would not cross over that stone to pursue Jacob. And Jacob made the commitment to Laban that he would not cross over that stone to bring any ill will against Laban. And so Jacob is now in a situation where he cannot turn back. There's a rock on one side. In front of him, there was a hard place. He had left the land of his fathers 20 years before because his brother Esau said he was going to kill him because he stole from him, because he deceived him. And now he's returning back And there's this sense where he's hoping to make peace with Esau, but then he hears that Esau is coming towards him, that he has an army of some 400 men, which would indicate to him that he is coming to do battle. And so at that moment in Genesis 32, we've already looked at how Jacob turns from 
trusting in the Lord to trusting in himself. He, he makes a plan. After he makes that plan, he prays. And now we pick up in the text today at a point where he's continuing to make his plans to, to try to fix things in his own effort. And yet in a moment where God does something in his life. And I hope that as we look to this, that you'll identify not only with what God is doing here in Jacob's life, that you'll see what it is God is doing in your own life. Because there are some truths in this passage that apply to us. There's some truths here that we can learn about the Lord. There's some truths here that better help us prepare to receive the Lord's Supper together that we'll receive towards the end of our service. Beginning with the first one that I put in your note, the first truth that you see here, the understanding that the Lord pursues us. See, we live in a day and age where people, when they speak of the Lord, that they speak of our pursuit of God as if we are the ones going out to find Him, as if He is hiding from us. And so you'll hear people talk about how they, they found God or they were, they were seeking God. And yet the Scripture gives us a very different picture. The Scripture does not present us with a picture of man pursuing God. The Scripture gives us a picture of God pursuing man. A man in his rebelliousness. A man in his stubbornness, man in his independence, man with his plans and his ways often finds himself being pursued by our Creator God. And friends, I believe we see that in our lives today as well. I think we certainly see it in this text with Jacob, who we see here in verse 22, is now at a point where he has divided his camp into... He has sent all this livestock to his brother Esau, hoping that, that perhaps he would find favor with Esau. Perhaps Esau would accept him. And now he's going to send even his family away. It says he takes his wives, his servants, his children, and they cross over. They move away from him to the point where we read in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And just think of that for a moment. Here we have Jacob, who had been blessed with so much by God, and yet he's not really trusting God now. He, he's moved everything away, and there he is by himself. There, I think, that, that is a picture so often of who we are when we in our efforts try to fix things. We try to solve things. We, we tend to push everyone and everything else kind of out of the way. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to take care of this on our own. And oftentimes in that moment, we just find ourselves alone that there's other times we find ourselves alone perhaps times of crisis times of suffering times when we don't think anybody else really understands times when we just feel isolated times when we may even feel like god is distant from us either way we need to realize that in those moments when we feel so alone we are not really alone and neither was jacob now here we see he's not alone because verse 24 says a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, we're going to talk more about what it is that means in just a moment, but I want you to notice something first. I want you to notice that we don't have a picture of Jacob here where Jacob is crying out to God, where Jacob is pursuing God, where Jacob is just pleading with God. We have a picture here of Jacob who's taken this situation into his hands to do what he can do. He's come up with his plans that he can do in his power. He's content with that. He's not seeking God with it at this moment. 
And yet it's at that very moment when Jacob is by himself, ready to pull the trigger on his plans, where he finds God is pursuing him. Again, it's not, God, it's not Jacob that goes after God, it's God that goes after Jacob. And friends, that's a picture that you see throughout the scripture, and that's one I believe we see in our lives as well. You see, we're not by nature seekers, by nature we're rebellers. We're not by nature those who go looking to find God. We're those by nature who go looking to find sin. And yet the gospel helps us to see that while we were still yet sinners, we read in Romans, Christ died for us. God pursued us. And I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad that he pursues Jacob here. I'm so glad that when when I was 17 years old, the Lord pursued me. I was not in a pit. I was not at rock bottom. I was a happy pagan. I was at a point in my life, I had just graduated high school. I was about to go to college. I was very content with my plans, with, with what I planned on doing, with what I had measured as success in my life. I had it mapped out, what I was going to do in college, what I was going to do after college, how much money I was going to make. I had it all together. This is the plan. I was at a party one night doing what I did at parties then, and in that moment, something different happened. And in that moment, for the first time I can remember in my life, I felt convicted of sin. I looked around at what other people were doing, I looked at what I was doing, and I felt overwhelmed with conviction. I'd never experienced anything like that before. It was so intense, I had to leave that house. I walked out into the middle of the woods, and I got down on my knees. And I have no idea exactly what I prayed. And I'm sure it was probably the worst prayer and the craziest prayer ever known to man. But I know in it, I just cried out to God. And I said what perhaps some of you have said before. God, if you are real, God, if you are there, I want you to show me. And he did. And in the course of that next few months, God pursued me with people who would share the gospel with me. And he took my plans and he broke me of them. And he gave me a very different plan. And that's because that's what the Lord does. The Lord's not sitting there waiting for us. The Lord is one who is coming after us, who is pursuing us. He is passionate in that pursuit. And we see that in this text and we see it throughout the scripture and And as we see that, we see that the Lord not only pursues us, but He has a way of taking us and breaking us. And that's what we see in the second point I put there in your notes. That the Lord breaks us. We don't normally think of that term breaking or brokenness in a good way. And yet I think it is when we see it in light of the gospel. And that's how you see it here. You see this this mysterious figure verse 24 a man comes and wrestles with Jacob until the breaking of the day now a couple of notes about this again it can seem rather puzzling that there are many who have taken this passage over the years and they've interpreted it in very different ways uh, there are some who look at it as allegory meaning it didn't really happen this way uh, this is just a way of describing Maybe Jacob's prayer life. So, so as Jacob's praying, maybe he, he feels like he's wrestling. And there are others of us who read this text and study this text and come to the conclusion that no, that this is a real event that took place. That this is a real wrestling match. Now, 
something you need to understand about wrestling in Jacob's day. When we, we think of wrestling today, we may think of just a playful wrestling with our kids, or, or maybe we think of the, the buffoonery we see on TV of wrestling. I don't mean to offend some of you, but no, it's really not real. When we think of those things and we think that's wrestling, well, it may surprise you to learn that in Jacob's day, wrestling was a very serious thing. In fact, it could even be a legal thing. Uh, there were some cases where a legal dispute could be settled with a wrestling match. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that, that, that is the, 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 the theme, that is the idea of wrestling we see during Jacob's day, that, that, that a legal decision could be made through wrestling, that the victor was the winner and that settled the issue. And I think that's important to understand because I think God is going to settle something here with Jacob. God's going to settle with Jacob who's really in control and who's planned his best. Now the question then is, okay, this, this wrestling match is happening. Who, who is this man? Again, there have been a number of interpretations of that. Some believe it was an angel. Some believe it was an angel of the Lord. I, I believe, as some do, that this is actually Jesus himself that Jacob is wrestling. And the reason I believe that, one, is because of what Jacob himself says. Jacob later recounts in the same passage, For I have seen God face to face. Now we know there's an issue there. How can a man see God? Well, we, we, we see God in flesh. We see Jesus in the New Testament. But there are also times when we see Jesus in the flesh in the Old Testament. We call these Christophanies. These are times when, when Jesus is there in the Old Testament when he is walking, he is talking, he is interacting with people. We, we've seen them already. We saw, for example, in Genesis 18, where it says that the, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And if you remember that passage, the Lord is there, there's two angels there, and they sit down and they have a meal with Abraham. That they, he is physically there talking to Abraham. I think what we have here in this text, again, is the Lord himself not just appearing to Jacob, but wrestling with Jacob. Why does the Lord come to wrestle Jacob? Well, we see here that there's a purpose to this wrestling. At first glance, we can misunderstand it. At first glance, we can read this and kind of get this picture that, that Jacob's the one prevailing. In fact, it does say there in verse 25, when the man, who I believe is the Lord, when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, there's this sense where they're wrestling all night, and we can kind of get this picture that, look, you know, Jacob's a pretty tough guy. <laughs> Jacob's wrestling the Lord, and Jacob, you know, the Lord's not able to prevail. But that picture... It's kind of shattered when we read what happens next. I don't think that they're wrestling all night because of Jacob's might. I think they're wrestling all night because the Lord is, is patient with Jacob. Because notice what happens there in verse 25. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Just a touch. Not some crazy stranglehold and not some brute force. But the Lord here just merely touches Jacob's hip socket and it totally puts him out of commission to where all he can do is just cling on to the Lord and not let go it's interesting as you go through this passage you get down to verse 32 and you find that the people of Israel would remember this by night eating the, the sinew I looked at that word because I wasn't real familiar with it and something interesting about it sinew it's, it's a tendon 
Now that's what he touched in his hip. He touched that tendon. But when you look up that word in the dictionary, you find definition number one, tendon. Definition number two, the source of power. There's a sense here where the Lord debilitates Jacob by going right to the power source on him and just taking him out. And he does that, not so much because I think the Lord's trying to get the upper hand here. I think the Lord does that because he's trying to show something to Jacob. He's trying to show something to us. And that's that, 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 that we need to be broken people. See, most of us go through life and we, we don't want brokenness. We want victory. But Jacob, at this point, had known a lot of victory and very little brokenness. See, Jacob was a wrestler. And maybe not in the way we commonly think of wrestling, but think about what we know of his life. Think about his birth. Think about his mother's pregnancy. The scripture tells us that when she was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, she felt like a war was going on inside of her. Now that's because Jacob, even then, is wrestling with his brother. When he's born, the scripture tells us that Jacob, Esau is born first, and Jacob grabs the heel of his brother Esau. That's where Jacob's name comes from, that he grabbed his heel. That word also means that he's a trickster. Well, how do those go together? Well, because in wrestling, uh, to gain the upper hand on their opponent, somebody would look for any tricky way, and one of them would be just to kind of grab that heel and try to debilitate somebody, just try to take a cheap shot at them. That's how Jacob comes into the world, (laughs) wrestling, trying to get the upper hand, and he certainly does. He wins. He wins against his brother twice. He tricks him. He deceives him. He gets both his blessing and his birthright. Then he enters into kind of this wrestling match with his father Isaac. Isaac is determined to bless his son Esau. And yet Jacob does what? He tricks his father. And he wins. He is victorious. Jacob goes away to this far land. There's all these situations, encounters with Laban, and yet he always seems to get the upper hand. Jacob is victorious until this moment. And in this moment, God shows him that it is not he who is in control. God shows him that it is not his plans that need to go forward. Jacob's plans, but it is the Lord's plan. And God, with a touch, breaks him. And God, with a touch in our lives, breaks us as well. We don't enjoy it. (laughs) Nobody goes looking for it. And yet I think if we understand the gospel, we understand the necessity of it. You see, in order to understand the gospel, that, that, that we are indeed sinners, that we are separated from God because of our sin, that, that, that Christ died for us on the cross, that we need to repent and turn from our sin and confess Christ as Lord. For, for that to happen, we need to be broken people. God needs to break us of our self-reliance, of our independence. God needs to break us of our false idols and our false gods and those other things that we worship. God needs to show us that we are completely and utterly dependent on Him. And that's what he does here with Jacob. Now think about this for a moment with Jacob. We, we have Jacob just moments before this. He's putting this plan in place because what's his primary concern? His, his primary concern is his brother is coming with an army. And so he divides up all that he has in two and, and he establishes these two camps. 
his thought again is, okay, Esau is going to have to pick one to attack. And so whichever one he wipes out, the rest of us, I'll just go with that other one. We can escape. You, know, you think about Esau thinking that through. Now, how did he choose which wives to send where and which kids to send where? Because basically he's saying one of these groups is going to get wiped out. And this is his plan. This is, what he, this is the best thing he can come up with is losing half of his family and half of everything he's got. That's his best idea. And God comes and God breaks him. And in breaking him, he has the opportunity to ask the Lord for something. And notice what he doesn't ask. He doesn't say here, Lord, I'm going to let go, but I'm not going to let go until you save my family. Or, or Lord, I'm not going to let go until you protect me from my brother Esau. He doesn't go through all these things that seem to have concerned him up to this point. No, he is a broken man, and all he asks for is that the Lord might bless him. And friend, I think there's an important point for us there, and it's the last one I put in your notes before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that, that the Lord blesses the broken. Now we need to understand, when we read this in the Scripture, we have a very false understanding of it today in the church. When we read blessing in the Scripture, when we read the Lord blessing someone, we, we, have, we have shamed that and minimized that down to this concept of stuff of health. And so we think of blessing in terms of our bank accounts and we think of blessing in terms of our doctor's updates and we we think the blessed person is the one who doesn't have to worry about money. The the blessed person is the one who doesn't worry about health. And we've missed it. Because at the end of it all, friend, those Blessings, those idea of blessings, those are temporal fading things. It doesn't matter how much money is on your bank statements. One day that will be someone else's bank statement. It doesn't matter what the doctor report says about your health because apart from God doing something different, you're going to die and I am too. And whether I'm 40 years old and I die of a rare disease, or I'm 102 years old and I die of old age, I'm going to die. And to think that blessing is a few more years or a few more dollars is a sad interpretation of what the Scripture calls blessing. See, Jacob here is looking for more than stuff. He's got stuff. He's looking for more than here than health. No indication that he's lacking health. No, what Jacob wants is he wants the Lord to bless him. He, he wants something greater than this world could offer. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He doesn't ask the Lord for land or livestock or any of that stuff. He just says, Lord, I want you to bless me. And notice how the Lord blesses him. He gives him a new name. <laughs> Imagine that for a moment. It's Christmas morning. Kids come out. Kids, y'all y'all aren't going to believe what I've got for you this year. Did you get us, you know, such and such? They think of the, the hard to find toy. Nope, nope, it's better than that. Did you get, is this that? No, nope, no, nope, better than that. And they open it up, and what they have in there is a birth certificate with a new name on it. <laughs> I'm just going to guess your kids aren't going to be excited by that. Why? Because they're going to say, what? I've already got a name. 
What are you give me a new name for? This is useless. This is worthless. This is, what is this? So, so how do we get there from here where Jacob says, I just want you to bless me, and the blessing is God says, here's a new name. Because God does more than change Jacob's birth certificate. God changes Jacob's heart. God takes Jacob. What does his name mean? He's a deceiver. His name means trickster. Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend Jacob. And everybody hears, I want to introduce you to the trickster heel grabber. You know, well, he's the life of the party. He's the guy you're not going to trust because of his very name. Because of who he is, that's his identity. And God says to him, I'm going to give you a new identity, Jacob. You're going to be Israel. And we hear Israel today, you don't think about trickster. <laughs> think about God's people. You think about what God does through Israel throughout the scripture. You think of our Lord Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all those things. And you see that God is doing more here than simply changing a birth certificate. God is making Jacob a new person. And friends, that is exactly what God does for every one of us through the gospel. He takes us, the scripture says, we have cold, dead hearts, and he reaches in there, and he puts a living heart in through the gospel. He helps us to be born again. He takes that which is dead, and he makes it alive. He breathes his life into us, and when he does that, we have a new name. See, I'm not Richard Carwile, the 17-year-old about to go to college with all his plans. I'm Richard Carwell, who was made new when I was 17. New person. Now, my name's still the same, but I've got a new name on top of it, and that name is Christian. And that name is a name that, that covers me as the blood of Christ covers me. God has made me a new person. He, he broke the old me so that He could build up the new me for His glory and for His name's sake. That is what the Gospel teaches us. And friend, there is blessing beyond description when God does that in your life. And some of you can identify with that. Some of you can think today of where you thought you would be today. Looking back on years ago, perhaps decades ago, and what your thoughts were, what your plans were, and God came in your life, and He broke you of those things, and He sent you in a new direction. And you can look and you can say, praise God for that. Thank you, Lord, that you weren't content letting the old me be the old me. And yet some of you today, you don't identify with that because you're still planning, you're still scheming, you're still fixing, you're still trusting in yourself. And God's pursuing you. And He's going to break you. But there's a blessedness that comes in that brokenness. Because in that brokenness, we can then understand the gospel. We can then understand things that perhaps you have practiced most of your life, but you never understood. We can understand why on some Sunday mornings we break out this stuff and we have these little itty-bitty crackers and this little thimble juice and we call it a meal. That's not a meal in my house. You go out to eat, you probably get more than a little cracker and a little cup. Why do, why do we call it a meal? Why do we do this? Because... That this is a remembrance. This is a reminder to us. This fits with Genesis 32 where God breaks Jacob. We then come to this and we realize, wait a second, God's doing something much bigger here. 
You see, Jesus himself would come. He would be broken for us. He, he would get on the cross, the cross that we deserve, the death that we should die. And on that cross, he would be broken in our place. And before going there, he would tell his disciples, you need to take this bread, and when you gather together, you need to break it. And when you have this broken bread, I want you to remember something. The Lord said, I want you to remember that this is me. I was broken for you. What does that mean for us today? That means, friend, you don't need to be broken. God has already been broken. Christ was broken for you on the cross. All your works, all your efforts are useless and unnecessary. Because Christ has paid the price for you and I. This little cup represents a cup that, that Jesus held. And he said this cup was a reminder of a new covenant. Now, not a covenant of works where you're going to try to fulfill the law and you're going to fail at it over and over again, but one in which we are covered by the blood of Jesus and we're made clean by it. And every time we take that cup, we're to remember that. Jesus, you, you did this. You accomplished this. You fulfilled this. It is finished. Do, do works have their place? Absolutely. In response to this faith and what it is Christ has accomplished, we then go and we serve and we live in such a way to bring glory to God. But we don't try to live that way in order to try, try to perhaps hope He will accept us. That is why we celebrate this meal together. And that is why we're going to have this meal today. So I want to invite the deacons to come forward. And as they do, again, this is an invitation to any confessing follower of Jesus today. If you have confessed that Jesus is your Lord, if you have repented and turned from your sin, you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to share in this meal with us. The first thing we'll do is distribute the bread. And as we do, if you'll hold that, if you'll prepare to receive that together with us, and as you do, Consider God's word. Consider the text we've read today. Consider what it is God did in the life of Jacob. And what he does in our lives as he breaks us. And how we are to live in response to that brokenness. As you do, the scripture also says we are to go before the Lord. And, and we are not to receive this in an unworthy way. And that means this. If there is sin in your life that you are refusing to repent of. The scripture says you are bringing judgment on yourself. By receiving this. And so you either need to repent or let that plate pass by. But for those of us who are repentant, who are confessing followers of Christ, this is an opportunity for us to share in this table together, to fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And we begin that by receiving this bread, this bread that, as we've already mentioned, Christ took and broke. To represent his body that would be broken on our behalf. He paid the price for us, not in part, but in full. This is what we remember as we receive this bread together. And this is what we invite you to consider as you prepare to receive this with us. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for this small little piece of bread today. But the enormous truth that it represents. That Christ would go to the cross. That you would demonstrate your love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. 
Lord, we thank you for the gospel and we thank you for the cross and we pray we would remember it as we prepare to receive this element of the Lord's Supper together. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.